0: The second reading this evening is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 16 to 27. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, "'Lord, save us! We're going to drown!' He replied, "'You of little faith, why are you so afraid?' Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him.
1: If you're plugged into the world of social media, the odds are that if you're following somebody, you're following them on Twitter. How many people are following somebody on Twitter here tonight? Yeah, it's definitely that side of the congregation that are plugged into social media. (laughs) Those of you on this side of the congregation, if you're following somebody on Twitter, that means that you automatically get an opportunity to read any tweets they may post. That may leave you none the wiser, but a tweet is a message that consists of not more than 140 characters. You get to read the gems of their wisdom condensed into a very short space. The more insecure among us might be tempted to measure the level of our importance by counting the number of followers we have on Twitter. But I reckon all of us here tonight, or listening to the sermon online, will have a long way to go to catch up with New York pop star Katy Perry, who has the most followers on Twitter at the moment, numbering over 51 million. 51 million following Katy Perry.
0: And what does it mean
1: to be a follower of Katy Perry? It means you've taken the trouble to track track her down on Twitter and you have clicked follow on your screen. Maybe because you like her music. Maybe because you like her looks. Maybe because you like the stuff that she tweets. You don't have to read what she says. You certainly did not have to pay any attention to it. And it's easy enough to click unfollow and not bother reading her stuff anymore. But it's a measure of her fame and success and popularity that so many people are following her. You can't recruit followers on Twitter. You can't say, follow me. They have to make up their own minds. So, yeah, Katy Perry is someone worth following. So if you follow someone in this sense, it means perhaps you support or you admire them as a person. You are a member of their fan club. Maybe you go a bit further when you subscribe to their ideas or, or, or the way in which they live their life in which case perhaps they serve as some kind of role model for you. You could even go so far as perhaps to be called one of their followers or disciples if you take who they are that seriously. If you try and model your approach to living on their example or what they tweet or what they say. And there's kind of a whole, whole gradation of following, just from saying, yeah, I'll read what she says when it pops up on my, on my screen. You're actually saying, actually, I want to be like... Katy Perry. I'm not recommending that, incidentally. (laughs) But as we begin to think about that kind of following, we begin to edge closer to what it might mean to be a follower of Jesus, which is vastly different from just following someone on Twitter. And Matthew gives us, in the passage that Sue read to us, a fascinating snapshot of a scenario in which people are beginning to wonder who Jesus is whether he's worth following, and if he's worth following, then what that might entail. And people are in the process of making up their minds about who he is and what they're going to do about it. And looking at Jesus in this passage, it's apparent he tends to set the bar rather high when it comes to being one of his followers. He's in no rush to accumulate as many followers as possible because it's not popularity he's after. He actually shunned the limelight. What he's after is unconditional, costly commitment. Matthew says that when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he decided to go across to the other side of the lake. The number of people there, the number of people wanting to hear what he had to say was a fact when he's deciding, actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. And he wasn't going because he wanted a bit of peace and quiet. For him, the decision to cross the other side of the lake looks like it was a kind of move to sift out the difference between those who were hangers-on and those who were prepared to follow him wherever he went. Those who were just there because he was the five-minute wonder, those who were actually serious about him are willing to go with him and follow him to the other side of the lake. And one of his disciples seems just a bit too eager to demonstrate the strength of his devotion to Jesus. Teacher, he says, I will follow you wherever you go. To the other side of the lake, to the, the other side of the world, of this is wherever it is, I will be there at your side. He has no idea that the path Jesus will walk will end up with his being crucified in Jerusalem on Good Friday. <coughs> Excuse me. And the reality is that none of those who were present with him that day, stuck with him right to the bitter end. They all forsook him. They all fled. They all ran away. And knowing how the story ends, it seems just a little bit foolhardy to make such a brave and bold statement of unconditional commitment. I will follow you wherever you go. Though a lot of the songs and hymns that we sing make exactly those kind of promises. And we've seen them quite glibly sometimes, it seems to me. In actual fact, Jesus, knowing how his life would end, gives the man quite a low-key answer. Foxes have homes, he says. The birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man, which is how he referred to himself, has nowhere to lay his head. And as if to prove that point, we see Jesus falling asleep in the boat as they cross the lake a few verses later, even in the middle of a storm. That tired, just taking the opportunity to rest in the middle of a journey. Very much a a person without a settled base. Jesus offers those who follow him nothing in terms of a peaceful, settled, secure lifestyle. It is a step away from material security. A turning away from making personal prosperity the goal of your life. Jesus warns this man it's going to be harder than he imagines. You don't enter the kingdom of God in the luxury of a chauffeur-driven limousine. There are many hardships and many difficulties to be encountered along the way. Following Jesus will be a challenge. There is a cost involved. Unlike following somewhere like Katy Perry on Twitter, following Jesus is going to be a life-changing experience. Taking us out of our comfort zone. And what's more, Jesus requires people to follow him on Jesus' terms. There doesn't seem to be any room for the negotiation of favourable terms and conditions. Following me, he says... It entails making the work of God's kingdom an overriding priority. And there are moments when Jesus calls us to make a decision, to come down from sitting on the fence and decide whether we are going to accept his authority in our lives or not. Because that is what following him is ultimately all about. So Jesus stands on the shore and he turns to one of his disciples and says, Come on, follow me. But but now is really not a good time. I I, I do want to follow you, and I, I will follow you, but but not now. Right now, I have I have to go and bury my father. The man says, and no one quite knows precisely what that means. Had his father just died? Was he responsible for making the funeral arrangements? If that is the case, there was no more pressing duty incumbent upon a son than that of arranging the burial and the funeral of his father. But Jesus says, look, the boat is leaving now. You come with me now, or I leave you behind. Leave the dead to bury the dead, he says. Shocking words. You need to proclaim the kingdom of God it was that kind of disregard for traditional family ties and duties and responsibilities that made Jesus such a controversial figure, putting allegiance to him above and before everything else. Of course, it may not be that the man's father had died. Maybe he was just ill and needed his son to stay behind and look after him until he died, in which case Jesus' words are scarcely any less shocking. Or maybe the man was just saying, well, my first and foremost responsibility is to my dad. And, you know, once I've done everything I I need to do and can do for him, then I will follow you, Jesus, at some indeterminate point in the future. But whatever the scenario, Jesus calls the man to make a decision there and then about where his deepest loyalties were really going to lie. And Jesus gets on the boat. And we don't know whether either of these men followed him. Whether the man who was so keen was put off by the prospect of, you know, having nowhere to lay his head, he was going to follow Jesus. Or or the man who was challenged about his priorities, whether he actually thought, "I, I do need to stay with my father. Or, yeah, Jesus is that important, I'm going to follow him onto the boat. Both were given food for thought. Were they really prepared to follow Jesus wherever he went? Were they really prepared to follow Jesus here and now? And as if to make the point, then and there Jesus gets into the boat to cross to the other side of the lake and his disciples followed him, Matthew says. Those who are serious about Jesus. Those who are prepared truly to be his disciples. Those who are willing to count the cost, go the distance, put his teaching into practice. They were the ones who embarked on the boat with him and left the safety and security of the shore. The crowds were there. Jesus crossed to the other side of the lake because it was his disciples he wanted to concentrate on, those who would follow him and obey him. And it was a sifting process. And there was a real sense in which following him meant leaving safety and security behind because crossing the lake was a dangerous business, particularly on that occasion. A sudden, furious storm swept over the lake and the waves were swamping the boats. And Jesus? Jesus was fast asleep. So you can well understand, really, why the disciples woke him in a panic when they were afraid they were going to drown. This was a disaster. This was the man they thought worth following and they'd followed him into a catastrophe. Everything had gone wrong. What was going on? And bear in mind as well that some of these disciples were hardened fishermen. It would have been their boat after all they were in to travel across the lake. And if they were crying out to Jesus so that they were going to drown and asking him to save them, landlubber that he was, rather than just turning the boat round and heading back to shore, That's a measure of the extreme level of the danger they knew they were in. As experienced fishermen, this was a storm that they could do nothing about. And Jesus, Jesus is really quite unsympathetic to their plight. You have little faith, he says, why are you so scared? Look at the waves, look at the storm. He's still lying down in the bottom of the boat's as he has this conversation with them, where the storm is still raging all around them and the boat is being engulfed by the waves. Only having said, what are you afraid of? Why do you have so little faith? Only then does he get up, rebuke the wind and the waves. And at his voice, the lake becomes completely calm. And for the first time, those who are in the boat, those who have followed him, those who have been so struck by Jesus, drawn to Jesus, impressed by what he said, for the first time, they get an inkling of who this really is that they're dealing with. They still really have no idea as to Jesus' true identity. But if even the wind and the waves are him, this man must be extraordinary. As indeed, of course, Jesus is. Because the bottom line is, it's only God who has that kind of control over the chaotic forces of nature. And this little incident gives a a hint of insight into the true identity of the man who is there in the boat with them. The man who has said, follow me. This is none other than God himself present with them in the person of his Son. And that authority which he demonstrates over the elements, that is the same authority he exercises as he calls people to follow him whenever he calls them and wherever he leads them. It's because of who Jesus is that they were prepared to follow him in the boat. It's because of who Jesus is that he has the right to demand unconditional commitment from those who call themselves his followers, overriding everything else. Everyone else. And those who number themselves among the followers of Jesus vastly outnumber, incidentally, the 51 million people who follow Katy Perry on Twitter. Following Jesus entails acknowledging his authority over your life. Of declaring and accepting that he is Lord and you will follow him wherever he leads. And that will be a step into the unknown. It does involve leaving security blankets behind. It entails a radical realignment of priorities. And following Jesus does not mean that everything will go smoothly, that everything will work out just fine, that you know, you'll have no challenges or regrets or difficulties to encounter along the way, as those who followed him across the lake were to find. Signing up to Jesus seemed like the worst thing they'd done at first. But equally, if we follow Jesus, he is always there. And while we may at times feel really scared because it seems as if nothing is happening to sort our situation out, his presence with us as the one who is ultimately in control of our situation means that we should continue to trust him and follow him as much as possible. Because he's Lord. Because he's the Son of God. Why would anyone want to follow Jesus when he makes such unreasonable demands and offers so little by ways of guarantee, of reward, or safe passage? It's only because of who he is. In Jesus, we get to meet the God who made the universe. In Jesus, we get to commit our lives into the hands of the one who made us. In following Jesus, we find out what God's plan and purpose for our lives is. Why he made us the people that we are. And that is risky, and that is uncomfortable, and that is challenging, and that can be dangerous, but really, there is nothing better And when you hear that call of Jesus to you, saying, follow me, really there is no alternative. Did you see this week that the career which scores highest in terms of job satisfaction is being in the ministry, being a clergyman in the church? Why should that be, given all the hassles and the griefs and the traumas of church life? Because after all, not everyone can be a minister of such a wonderful church as Brighton Road. (laughs) But you know, almost by definition, those who enter the ministry are people who have said to Jesus, I'll follow you. I'm prepared to follow you wherever you lead, whatever you call me to do. And there really is nothing to compare with living your life in the service of the king of the universe. So yeah, the job is enjoyable. But a significant proportion of that job satisfaction comes from knowing this is what God wants me to do. And I wouldn't be doing anything else. Because I know I'm following the God who's called me to do precisely this. Now he may perhaps call one or two of you here into the ministry or some other kind of full-time Christian service, either in the UK or abroad. Others of us, he will call to serve him in our full-time secular jobs, or at school, or in college, or in retirement. But to all of us, he says, follow me. And you won't be able to see where the journey ends. Jesus knows. And he says, follow me. And there'll be all sorts of other things and people demanding your time and priorities and attention, but Jesus says, you follow me. It means leaving behind the safety and security of the shore. And Jesus still says, follow me. Maybe you've been wondering about doing that for a while. Maybe tonight is the night where Jesus says to you, it's time to follow me. To get off the fence, to sign on the dotted line, to say, Okay, I can't see where I'm going, but I trust you. I follow you. Is tonight the night when you decide to give your life to Jesus? Only you can make that decision. But if it's a decision you want to make, the prayer team are here and I'm here and others, there are Christians who will pray with you if that is what you want. If you feel that God is calling you to make a decision. But you can just do it by yourself in prayer. Oh Jesus, I accept your sovereignty in my life. Help me to follow you wherever you lead Let's pray. Merciful God, you call us to follow. To turn away from our own selfish interests and to take up our cross and follow you even if the path is difficult to see or heads in a direction we would never have chosen for ourselves. Forgive us for being so quick to question and so hesitant to follow. Help us to see with the eyes of faith rather than from our own human point of view. Help us to follow you without fear, knowing that you will always be with us,
0: leading the way.